Yes, friends, on a Tuesday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast where we are your hosts over here, Adam Arbrecht, over there, Andy Makowitz, and my friend, we've got a handful of things to get into here. No time for pleasantries. We have new signings for the New York football giants, a little bit of a reflection back on a departing member of Big Blue, and then talking about really how we get past the first round and all the work we know the Giants are going to do at the top there and filling out this roster successfully next month in the draft. Adam, I love it. No fluff today. All business. You're all business on a Tuesday. Hit me with what has happened in the last 24 hours for the Giants. No fluffer. Very clean show. Uh, The Giants have added two more players, both actually with ties to the staff uh, for the New York football Giants. And on the one side of it, there's there's some level of comedy here as they uh, added in one Jameel Douglas, obviously with ties to Buffalo on the offensive line, plays a guard. He's a depth piece a first right off the top there with him. This is basically, this is it, right? Shane and Dable are just saying, we're just going to literally rebuild the Buffalo Bills here, even if it's second rung on the depth chart yeah it's it's the backup line for the for the buffalo bills you know john, john feliciano moving over center because he he couldn't play center because there was uh, you know a log jam in buffalo but adam i mean the, the douglas and ward signings they're they're fringe guys i, I i'll give the odds are 50 50 that they're going to be on the 53 man roster when it comes yeah. time but we still need to add these depth pieces because Unlike what Dave Gettleman's strategy was, which was like do nothing in the offseason, don't prepare yourself in case uh, we, you know, we don't get the offensive lineman in the draft that we want, Joe Shane, Dable, and company are trying to fill in fringe roster guys that can come in and compete on veteran minimum deals or cheap deals. Like think about, you know, Ward has very you know a lot of familiarity with Wink Martindale's system. He played for him. Big boy. Uh, yeah. yeah, he he is a big boy, and he can get out on the edge. He can stuff the defensive line. He likes to think of, of himself as a big body that can really get in the way and cause some havoc. I think he had a two and a half million dollar one year deal last year. Didn't really, you know, show flash. Had a couple of sacks. I'm guessing that the Giants deal. I don't. I don't see the details out yet, but it's clearly got to be less than two and a half million dollars. And um, with all of these different signings like Douglas and Ward, I'm just most curious about what the guarantees are because that really oh. tells me what they're signaling with these different signings and whether they expect them to be part of this team. Yeah, and I think it's your point, worst case scenario. I think both these players will have an opportunity to be a part of this roster as depth pieces, but it's just good when you're installing new systems on both sides of the ball. Why not have players that are familiar with it, especially if the Giants go into the draft, say, on the offensive line, bring someone in. Guess what? Now you got three guys that all have experience within this system and can say, got a question? I might have an answer for you, right? As opposed to, as you say, sitting there with a lot of young players and rookie talent and trying to figure it out on the fly. We saw how that played out over the course of Joe Judge's tenure at the helm for the New York football giants. One other note coming off of the ward signing, because we mentioned Lorenzo Carter, he departed for the Atlanta Falcons. It ended up being a $3.5 million one year deal for him. And I just thought I saw some of the commentary over around the Twitter spaces saying, boy, This really tells you how cap-strapped the New York football giants are. And while we understand they don't have a lot of flexibility there, and we understand they have a need at the edge position on this team, if this was the same coaching staff from the year prior, I might might look at it a little bit differently. Everyone knows I'm a fan of Lorenzo Carter, and I think he's going to have a very solid year. Wouldn't be surprised if he has one of his better statistical seasons with the Atlanta Falcons upcoming. But when you're the Giants and you have a new staff, do you want to spend, even if it's small, $3.5 million on a one-year deal, by the way, and get right back into the free agent waters? You're going to have more money next year. 
on a guy who's in his second contract, going to be closer to 30 than 20? Or do you want to go into the draft and bring in low-cost, young, controlled talent for the next four seasons? Like, I just think it makes practical sense from a lot of different aspects here for the New York Football Giants. Understanding, if you told me they brought him back, I would have been perfectly happy with it, but I'm also not going to lament the Giants moving on. Well, let's not forget, you know, we talk about Jihad Ward. He, he plays the defensive end position. He likes to get out on the edge. Yeah. He had two and a half sacks. Lorenzo Carter had like, what, four and a half? So, you know, Ward is only 27 years old. It's not like he's a he's a 33-year-old journeyman, right? So he's still got some, some tread on the tires. But this is what the Giants are doing. I know that you don't think it's necessarily cash-strapped, and we can, we can say frugal, bargain, mm-hmm. basement, shopping. We can use a, a whole host of different terms. But... Yeah, clearly Lorenzo Carter got priced out from what the Giants felt comfortable paying, whether that's for his talent or for what they have left in in dollars and cents to be able to go fill out this roster. And, you know, the one thing I will say is Joe Shana said he doesn't want to kick the can and restructure him and move contracts. But you can tell that it's dire times because they had to go to Graham Cano and say, hey, we got to we got to restructure this thing. Yep. They, they basically pushed a million dollars down down the road to be able to make one of these two signings. So. They are a little bit tight on money. And, you know, this number of Lorenzo Carter being a rotational player, Adam, at three and a half million dollars for him probably playing, what, 30 or 40 percent of the snaps. It just goes to show that some of these high value positions, it can get expensive to get a really like top line, top flight guy. You know, all, all the all the big name players are making 18 to 20 million dollars if you're a full time guy getting 10 plus sacks. Yeah, well, listen, and let's just be clear here, right? Lorenzo Carter is a better talent than Ward. That's just that's just plain and simple. The difference is production, right? So if you think that between Ward at X dollar amount and a draft pick, you're going to still manufacture the same level of production of spending 3.5 on Lorenzo Carter, that's the deal that you make. And to your point, man, listen, people are correct when they say the cap is a is a isn't real for a lot of teams, right? All of a sudden, teams that don't have any room manage to manufacture it. But I do think in this particular offseason, it's become very clear that for John Mara, for the Giants, for Joe Shane, however real or unreal this number is, they're sticking to it and they're trying their damnedest to hold to it, even if they're making little adjustments, like we say, with Graham Gano. Now, the real meat and potatoes of this episode is around the draft and trying to take a look now about the strategy that the New York football giants have to work with here because we have these assumptions, right? At what they're going to do. We know that they need to address the key critical areas of need on this roster within the first three, four picks, depending on how things flesh out here. I want to take a look at a strategy that affords them to maximize the value coming out of this draft. But there are a couple of players here that we talk about maybe being real assets that the giants can afford to take a look at in a particular round at a particular moment, depending on how the top of the draft goes. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the top of the draft first, Adam, and and we'll, we'll clear that away. Obviously people are talking about the top of the draft at five and seven at nauseum. There's, there's what the same four or five names, maybe keep getting tossed around like, okay, clearly we know that one of the offensive tackles, whether it's a Quanu or Neil, if available at five or seven, the giants will absolutely be looking at. There's a little bit of discussion about whether Cross as an offensive tackle is someone that that the Giants would want. Then you get into a couple of the different edge rushers. You talk about Trayvon Walker. You talk about Kayvon Thibodeau. There's a few different names, Jermaine Johnson, um, even Aiden Hutchinson, even though it looks like he's going to go number one. That is basically the group with Sauce Gardner at cornerback being the one outlier 
that the Giants are looking at between five and seven. Yeah. If they stick there, are you? If they stick at five and seven, are you confident that the Giants' two picks are going to be one of the names that we just mentioned? Oh yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah, it's going to be yeah, and any combination of them can be looked at very favorably, and you can be excited about it, and then you can start to think about at thirty six, what did we do at five and seven? What's the last other area of need that we need to address? Exactly. So we feel confident that one of those five or six guys we just mentioned, or two of them, are going to be addressed uh, early on with that first, uh, second round pick that we're talking about. They're probably going to address whichever one they did not address at five and seven, whether that's the cornerback position, maybe they want to grab a guard, or they need to be able to lock in the edge rusher because they didn't like what they saw in Thibodeau, right? So we feel like those first couple of picks, we understand where the Giants are going to go. If they remain at those spots. Now you've, we've talked before and you really like the idea of potentially trading back. You know, Peter King has talked about trading back at five or seven. It makes a ton of sense for a team like the giants who need to accumulate young, cheap talent at a whole host of positions and not just fill in one spot to be a super bowl contender. But Adam, let's just say for argument's sake, the giants stand pat. And with those first three picks in the draft, they address cornerback edge rusher and offensive tackle. Where does that leave the Giants after, you know, pick number 30 something? The Giants then have this tons of picks in the back part of the draft and still have needs in different areas. Yeah, you're talking about picking up at 36 will be the, the top of the second round there and then 67, 81 and 112. We'll put that group of those three picks because you're still in the meat of the draft there. There's still going to be a lot of talent and depending on how some of these runs go, you could find yourself with an opportunity to pick up a very talented player. For me, I think, and I know you as well, it's it's now saying, well, how do we add a weapon? Now, that can be on either side of the ball, but when you look at the offensive side, we talked about it before. Kenny Galladay may be on the roster this year. Doesn't mean he's a part of the long-term plans for the Giants. Darius Slayton is in the last year of his contract, and he's certainly been up and down, even as a overachieving fifth-round prospect for them. Tight end, we know there is nobody there. We think signed seals Jones. And that's a nice depth piece to bring into this roster to make sure you have a baseline, but they need weapons, let alone whatever could go on with Saquon Barkley. So I had and wrote, did an article right up on this over on Substack around a targeting, targeting a wide receiver, 81, 112, depending on how things break and looking at a player out of North Dakota state university in Christian Watson, because he, for me is a tall, fast, high-pointing big receiver that you can look at as the come-in and challenge Darius Slayton right now if he's on the roster, outright replace him if you move off of him for financial reasons, and then eventually grow into your big boy on the outside can be used in different ways to replace Kenny Galladay long-term. <laughs> How excited does that make you, Andy? Well, I, I was actually going to ask the question, and you already answered it. It's like we've got the same mind, Adam. My, my question was more, is he a compliment to Kenny Galladay or do you think he's a replacement for Kenny Galladay? I think in the short term, he can be the compliment, right? So right now you'd say you have Kadarius Tony. He can work anywhere on the field. Even Kenny Galladay can also do that. He's been used in the slot. He's lined up in different positions. I think that you could right now, this moment say you bring in Watson in the draft. He challenges and maybe gets ahead of Darius Slayton right out of the gate. And if Slayton's still on the team, he slides down to the four. And if he's gone, remember, they still have two players in Foster and in CJ Board to fill out the back end here. I think he becomes a part of that triumvirate with Kadarius Tony, Kenny Galladay, and Watson in the short term. And then I even I wrote this: if you told me that Darius Slayton's going to be here, or how does the draft play out from a weapon standpoint, and we think 
some opportunity comes over the course of the first six weeks of the season, I'll, I'll develop Watson for the first part of the year and then expect him to be ready to step up and take on a larger role with Kadarius Tony for whoever may be under center. Well, that that's an interesting thought, Adam. I mean, he is six, five, two Oh seven. That's right. My, my big, my big concern about Christian Watson is not really the player or the skill set. He, you know, the way that you've been scouting him reminds me quite a bit of your uh, infatuation with Chase Claypool. Would that would that be a very similar like thought process? You thought he was a big athletic well, I'll receiver say that this. can go I high do with like the boy. A big healthy receiver. Yes, but but I but I think that the 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 skill set of of Watson is different from Claypool. But in the in the same vein of liking a bigger body, especially as a compliment to Tony, of course, yeah, I think it's good to target players like that to develop a well-rounded wide receiving core. Well, the, the reason why I ask is because as we know, Chase Claypool kind of moved up some of the, some of the boards pretty quickly. It seemed like he was um, get, not going to be in the right pick range for the giants mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of, Hey, is, is he going to be available there? I mean, it sounds like you, you'd be okay with picking him uh, with which pick that the 60 something pick in the draft, or are you saying like you are only looking at him if, you know, he falls past that into the say third round for the giants. Yeah. Like there's Ross out of Clemson. There's some other receivers that could be higher up on the board there for them. He's been scouted now with the way he performed at the combine Watson. That is and saying, Hey, he may be pushing closer to being, you know, closer to 50 than a hundred, right? As far as where his range is going to be. I'm okay with taking him, right? If the prospect is there, if he makes sense for your system, if you like what he can be, I'd be fine taking him at 67. If that was the case, wouldn't be my preference. And in the hierarchy of draft strategy, I might say, listen, I have a couple other guys we can look at here. The only thing I'll say is, as I've been going through the wide receiver group, there is this gap. Once you get past 81, once you get past 90 to 100 range in the draft, there's a very clear gap. And it looks like there's also a clear run differential on when wide receivers start to go. And then you're looking more into the 150s to look at a you know later prospect, more developmental, more in the vein of a Darius Slayton. Yeah, well, I my initial reaction to that is yes, is I'd love, love it. I love Christian Watson. I think he's he's a he's a great prospect. Then my my first inclination is to say, well, the wide receiver room is a little bit crowded at the moment. Obviously, we we invested a first round draft pick in Kadarius Tony. Obviously, we gave a bunch of money to Kenny Galladay. We just brought back Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton is there. But to your point, Adam and I listen to you on the on the show. So, like, you, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be very excited. This pick is not just about this upcoming year. And that's what I'm learning more and more uh, about your feelings. Brian Dable and Joe Shane inherited every single one of these players in the wide receiver room, right? They were able to restructure Sterling Shepard, which actually saved them money rather than releasing him. So honestly, it's not like they said, oh, we really want Sterling Shepard back. They said, we'll keep him on the roster and we'll save more money. That sounds like a pretty shrewd business decision. So they really are not beholden to any of these players. They, they obviously can't get off of Kenny Galladay yet because of how much money in the dead cap there would be this season. But you look at a player like Darius Slayton, to your point, he's going to be, you know, he's a cheap asset right now. He did, you know, end up costing a little bit more with, with the escalators in terms of his playing time this past season. And is he in line for a second contract from the Giants? That's a tough one to be able to say. If you could tell me that we could do a third round pick, a mid third round pick to replace Darius Slayton in his production and keep him for a million bucks a year, as opposed to giving Darius Slayton eight to $10 million. It does seem like a smarter decision for the Giants thinking about long-term rather than just this season. Oh, of course. Yeah. And remember, you know, they're, they're, uh, depending on how this thing shakes out, we saw what the Giants just had to do to be able to make a couple signings here. The cap 
that is represented by Darius Slayton is money that they may need to utilize as players get cut this off season. So, you know, when you look at Darius Slayton and to your point, final year of the deal, it's almost the Lorenzo Carter scenario, right? One year removed, he was already a free agent, but you say, this is a guy that's on his way out. Is he going to be a part of the long-term? Are we looking to bring him back on a longer contract in the off season? If not, where's the value here? And I wouldn't be shocked if when you're inside of the draft here, teams that maybe miss out on a fourth or fifth round prospect at the wide receiver spot, maybe a call gets put into the New York football giants. And if they've already added a piece like a Christian Watson, they could say, yeah, fifth round pick. We'll take that draft capital rate back this year or next year and prepare to fill it out behind them. But I want to know Andy about where you would go basically in the same kind of range, maybe all the way up to 67, but 81 to 112, kind of this area where again, big needs to fill here. The wide receiver room is a little bit crowded, though I'd say uncertain in terms of health and, and roles and otherwise, a room that is not crowded at all for the New York football giants would be the tight end. Adam, if you know me, you know I love a deal, right? I love happy hour deals. True. I like two-for-one drinks. I also kind of like the two-for-one when, when you know we're talking about football players in the draft, versatility, things like that. Sure. And while this player might not be the most versatile in terms of the places that they can line up, what I've really been liking in, in some of the, the draft profiling and prospecting is the tight end from Washington named Cade Auden. Oh. And you, you might say, hmm, I've, I kind of heard that name, but there's all these, you know, Trey McBrides and others have come up as, as you know, second round draft picks that have way more athleticism. But Adam, I'm going to get you on the Cade Auden train in the next three minutes, and oh. you're going to be very excited to be there when the Giants do draft him. And I'll tell you a couple reasons why. Start the clock. Okay, here we go. First reason, K-Dot and 6'5", big-bodied type of type of guy, right? You love a big-bodied tight end, you know, in the mold of Caden Smith, which I know you wanted to see more, more and more flashes of. The second piece of it is he is a superstar route runner. The guy is disciplined. He gets to spots. He will get open for Daniel Jones. He lacks versatility. Deep, deep vertical threat is not K-Dot in his game. So, like, you know. Oh, and, and the reason why you're going to be on this board is he is literally the antithesis of what we had last year in Evan Ingram. He's a big bodied, great route runner, and he is an exceptional to potentially Pro Bowl caliber blocking tight end, Adam. And now the, you're singing. Now you're singing to my heart. He, he loves to block. And, you know, proof is in the pudding. They played uh, the University of Michigan, who has, oh, Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo on the outside edge rushing. They were letting Auden block Ojabo one-on-one -on -one in pass protection coverage, and he was stopping Ojabo from getting to the quarterback. So, like, he's going against NFL prospects as a tight end, and he's being able to stop edge rushers that are projected to go in the top 30 in the draft. And so, for me, when you think about our tight end room is a mess with Ricky Seals-Jones is literally the only guy under contract right now, getting a mid-round value, they're saying – Potentially fourth round could sneak into the third round, depending on needs for people. Sure. Uh, the last thing that I know uh, about Kate Auden, and I watched a bunch of his tape too, and this is one of those little fluff pieces that people won't like, but like, listen, he is an, he is an adult, a mature guy that you can tell Joe Shane talks about liking the player first. He was the only player in the University of Washington that was married dirt, like at the time. Everyone else was single. He's like, I have a family. I want to settle down. I just want to work hard for my family, play hard. I want to run block. I want to be tough as nails, and I want to protect. And when you think about the Giants struggling, maybe they don't get the offensive tackle they want or they don't have the guard that they want yet. 
having an extra lineman that can catch the ball and wants to run block only helps this team for the long haul. Did you I sell me, you on Kate Auden? You had me at not Evan Ingram. Um, <laughs> no, listen, I, I, I still think, I know that it's old school, but, but when you're rebuilding a roster like this, listen, there's going to be athletic tight ends. You mentioned some of those guys out there, including a player like Terry McBride, who a blocker he is not, but a pass catcher he certainly will be for you. And there's guys in and around Kate Olson, just ahead of him, uh, Auden, excuse me, Jeremy Ruckert out of uh, Ohio State. I've looked at Coastal Carolina's Isaiah Likely a couple of times here. And then later in the draft, way later in the back end of the draft there, a player like Derek Deese Jr. who comes from NFL lines and is someone who is effort, energy, and probably needs to develop and build. But when you talk about, because now the, the, the back end piece of this is, I like it, I love it, I want more of it. Now it is, though, about how do you add this mid-round talent? And it takes us back to where we started here, talking about what are the Giants going to do at the top of the draft? How do they maximize the value that they can achieve here? And this is where, when you look inside of the offensive line and some of these prospects, we talk about Aquana, we talk about Neil Cross. Is that is he on the table, potentially? There's a couple other guys there, obviously, like uh, R- uh, Ramon, who's out of Austria, the convert from wide receiver tight end to the offensive line. The interesting thing to me is I quickly pulled up going over uh, over on draftbuzz.com and taking a look at the ratings for these guys. So Neil, a 95, Cross, a 91.6, 90.8 for Aquonu, 89.9 though for Ramen, who is a very raw, just came over, played at left tackle. You need time to develop him, going to have to put on a little bit more weight to play at the tackle position. But when you compare them, to next year's draft class and just the top two guys that are be coming out right now. Kirkland out of Washington, Nelson with the Hurricanes, 85 and 84, essentially, respectively, between the two of them. And what it brings to question is, one, how much can those prospects develop? And if you're the Giants and you're in this thing for the long haul, you can say, can we be patient at that particular position? Whereas unlike when you look at the cornerback spot and you say, who's playing across from Adoree Jackson right now? Assuming James Bradbury is eventually moved, you go, Nobody. It's a gaping hole, right? So getting getting Gardner there feels like the somewhat critical piece. And it's where a trade back scenario with a lot of QB needy teams, teams that want to get up there. Atlanta is obviously maybe going to be in that boat, even though they obviously signed their bridge quarterback um, that, that I was happy to not see come to the Giants in Mariota. But if the Giants could execute a trade down scenario with someone like the New Orleans Saints, where you could project them to get back the 18th overall pick, They'll also grab a first rounder next year and pick up the 49th pick in this year's draft. Maybe some additional draft assets later on. If you get that extra pick, now all of a sudden to what we spoke to, well, we're going to come down from there. We got Gardner at the top. At 18, Raman can be there. He's higher rated than the two best prospects coming out of next year's draft class. At the top of the second round, you can look at Maffa. He can be your edge rusher. Now you've addressed those key areas of need and you've given yourself that bonus 49th pick. Trade back from it if you want. Utilize it for an extra offensive lineman that you want to develop behind all these veterans you brought over from Buffalo. And then when you get to 67, 81, and 112, you get to say, well, what if I want to take Watson at 81 and he's there? And then I want on at 112. What if I even had to move up both those spots at 67 and 81 for both those players? If I like them, and I believe they fill needs and can be long-term value for this team, flexibility, because you already checked the key boxes you know you needed to, and you gave yourself the extra asset to have that opportunity to bring in a linebacker at 49, by the way. Tyndall out of Georgia, right? Like, 
This is why the trade down scenario seems so, I would say obvious, but it just feels like being short-sighted. And my point here was being short-sighted to be long-winded, being short-sighted on high value prospects in this year's draft and not thinking or acknowledging, hey, there's new prospects every single year, right? The pool keeps getting refilled with talent. I think you have to have that, that big scope view here to make sure you fill things out in the best way possible short-term while giving yourself big options in the future. Well, Adam, I, I like that idea. You and I both agree that a trade down, we're not just one piece away. Could not agree more. I don't know if I want a, a, t- a offensive tackle project. We did that with Matt Parrott, and it didn't really work that way. So I have a little bit of anxiety thinking about that. But Adam. but Well, let's, yeah, yeah okay. I'll, I'll leave it there. There's a first-round prospect. This guy's a first-round prospect. Got a third round. I, I I get it. Just the idea is giving me PTSD. It's like it's just one of those things I don't I don't want to address. But it's okay. At, it's okay. at the at the end of the day, yes, sir. We talk about the Giants having holes across the entire team. This is why we have a whole new coaching staff. This is why we have a whole new general manager calling the shots because the Giants had holes at every position. Trading back, getting more value and more draft capital was the one thing that Dave Gettleman did right for the Giants last year because it got us Kadarius Tony. It gets us two picks in the top 10 this year to be able to have another ability to make moves. If we only had one pick in the first round, you'd feel like, man, the Giants would almost certainly have to you know, trade back because we need so much. We're getting so much more flexibility. So if, if nothing else, tip the cap to Dave Gettleman. Thank you for giving us five and seven because <laughs> now we get to start fresh and we have all of these different possibilities on how to fill up the roster. We'll be back in, friends. This is what we're doing all the way through leading up to the NFL draft and the offseason. Like us, hit that button over on YouTube. Get the podcast ready to get those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and always demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.